2 Timothy chapter 4. We've been studying through the book of 2 Timothy. We did 1 Timothy, now we're in 2 Timothy. And as we come to chapter 4 here this morning, uh, I want to stress the importance of what Paul's about to share to Timothy. All that Paul has talked about, all that Paul has told Timothy, and in case you had forgotten or you're not aware, Timothy is, he's, he's the pastor in charge of the churches at Ephesus. Paul has left him in charge there. He's Paul's uh, protege. He's a younger man, probably in his 30s, early to mid-30s at this point. Um, Paul is an, an older man. And Paul, as he comes to this, as we come to this fourth chapter, it's kind of Paul's last last thing that he's going to tell him. Second Timothy is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote before his death. And these, these, as we come to these first five verses especially, it's kind of like if Paul was able to wrap everything up that a pastor is supposed to be. Timothy, this is what's important to, as a pastor. This is where I want your focus to be. This needs to be your number one on your priority list. That's what we're going to be seeing Paul share with Timothy this morning. And you can imagine if you could kind of put that into our world a little bit, whatever it is that you do, let's say that you have a hobby and whatever, let's say you're, 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 you have a hobby and whoever's the great, let's say you're, you're a swimmer, all right? And then all of a sudden the greatest swimmer ever is going to come share with you his knowledge about it. That's, that's how important this is this morning. He wants to tell you the, the five most important things or whatever list he wants to lay out for you. So as we come to this, we need to recognize that this is serious and it's important. So let's look at chapter four. I'm going to read down through verse five. And then we'll read that together, and then I'll come, to, come back and, uh, and make some commentary on it. So chapter 4, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. The Apostle Paul starts out, he says, I charge you, Timothy, I charge you. That is a very strong Greek, Greek word. It, it can even be, mean that Paul is testifying of something, as if he's testifying under oath. What I'm about to tell you, Timothy, I'm charging you. I'm placing a command on you. I'm testifying under oath. And if he's testifying under oath, Paul's essentially saying, hey, Timothy, this is a serious moment. And it's serious for a couple of reasons. Number one, Paul's in prison at this point as he's writing this letter. His, his own death is just perhaps days or weeks or at the longest months away. We know that he's in prison. He'll be, he'll be martyred for his faith right after this letter is completed. But also he realizes that Timothy's going to have to face the Lord someday and answer for what he's done with his ministry. What, has he, what, what have you done with what God has given you? It's important, and that's something that we should all consider once in a while. Do we understand that as Christians, as believers, it would do us all good to occasionally reflect on the one day that we will face God and have to give an account for what we've done? Not in a salvation sense, not in a, as a believer, we're going to escape the judgment seat of, you know, the white throne judgment that Revelation talks about. We're going to escape that. But just as we saw in the parable of the talents, didn't, they, didn't those men have to give a, an account of what they did with God, God gave them? We'll have to do the same thing someday. God will say, I gave you the ability to sing. What did you do with it? 
I gave you the ability to administer. What did you do with it? I gave you the ability to do what, and what did you do with it? And someday we'll be required to give an account, and we'll be rewarded on those things that we've done well. Now, we won't be punished as Christians. We're going to escape that judgment, but we will be rewarded on the things that we do for the kingdom of heaven. Listen, by the fact that Paul's saying this, by the fact that he's sharing this with us, it also tells us that he believes in Christ's imminent return. Because notice what he says there. I'm charging you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. In the book of Thessalonians, Paul wrote very early on in his ministry, and he talked about Christ returning. And here at the end of his life, he's still waiting on the return of Jesus Christ. He's still, he's still living with the expectation that it could happen at any day. And he's charging Timothy char- before. Notice who he's charging them before. Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that kind of raise the level of the charge a little bit? I mean, Paul's saying, Timothy, I am charging you before God and your Savior, Jesus Christ. What I'm about to tell you, it's almost as if Paul is saying, I'm testifying before God in Christ on what I'm about to tell you. And he reminds him that he will be judged by the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. But notice what he charges him with. What does he say to him? The first of five exhortations from Paul to Timothy, the first one is, what is he charging him to do? Preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. The second thing is to be ready. The third thing is to convince. The fourth is to rebuke. And the fifth is to exhort. He comes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, I want you to preach the word. Paul's emphasis throughout this book and through his other books, especially 1 Timothy, has been tremendous focus on the word of God. Peter, we talked about, we talked about last week, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. We talked about this scripture, the Bible in front of us being the word of God. And although they didn't have a Bible with 66 books that said Holy Bible on it, they were still studying and referring to the same scriptures as they were being written back then. But Paul places this incredible emphasis in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he said, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That's the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he said, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. In, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, rightly divide the word of truth. In 2 Timothy, again in chapter 2, verse 24, he said, a servant of the Lord must be able to teach. And then again in chapter 3, verse 16, he tells us all scripture, meaning the word of God, is given by the inspiration of God. Paul has been very clear with Timothy throughout our study Focus on the word of God. He repeatedly said, quit worrying about the idle babblings, the arguments, the useless wranglings, he calls them. All the nonsense, quit worrying about the, all the nonsense and focus your ministry, Timothy. It needs to be centered on the word of God. It needs to be focused on the word of God. But he also warned Timothy of false teachers, didn't he? He said, Timothy, there's going to be false teachers that come into the church, and they're not going to be teaching the Word of God. They may be teaching a form of the Word of God. It may sound like the Word of God. It may even have a feel like the Word of God. But you, Timothy, need to hold fast to the sound doctrine. You need to hold fast to what the true Word of God is. And so he tells him at the very end of his life, it all sums up into this, Timothy, preach the Word. Just focus on preaching the Word of God. Timothy, would you just preach the Word? What's the word preach mean? You see, well, that's what you're doing up here. Well, kind of, sort of, but I think it helps if we understand where the word preach came from. What that word, what that Greek word, what it means, it means to herald. It means to herald. So if you were a king or you were a ruler back in that day, in the Roman days, and you wanted to get your command out, you wanted to get a certain amount of information out to the people, how would you do it? Well, you couldn't send an email. 
You couldn't text, you couldn't tweet, you couldn't do that. You couldn't, you couldn't even necessarily send a letter because there was no mail. You would hire somebody to be your herald. And they would go out, they would take your message and declare it audibly, loudly, and clearly to the people. So they would herald the message of the ruler. They would herald the message of the king. Timothy, Paul is saying, you need to be God's heralder. You need to be God's mouthpiece. You need to go herald the word of God with all of the authority of heaven behind you. No different than the heralder of the king would have all the authority of the king behind him. What would happen if somebody said to the person proclaiming the king's message, I don't like you and I'm not listening? Well, all the king's wrath would come after them, wouldn't it? They had to treat the herald as he's part of the king. Paul's telling Timothy the exact same thing. Go herald the word of God with all the authority of heaven behind you. And he's testifying this. He says, I'm Timothy, I'm telling you this before God himself and before Jesus Christ. Go out and herald the word of God. Preach the word of God. Now, this may seem kind of obvious, but I think it's important. What is he supposed to herald? What is he supposed to preach? The word of God, right? The word of God. We settled last week that this is the word of God. You kind of see where I'm going with this? As a pastor, I'm told, if I fall under Timothy here, I'm told to preach the word. Preach the word. It, it seems rather simple, doesn't it? Just because somebody opens a Bible and starts talking about the Bible or even starts talking from the Bible doesn't mean they're preaching the word of God. You see, we could preach, I could preach all kinds of things. I could even take messages out of the Bible and twist them around in a way, taking them out of context, and make you think they're coming from the Bible. Do you think it would be possible for me to go to the Old Testament and preach a message on why God hates people? And I could, I could pull out all the places where he's destroyed this group and he's destroyed that group and the Israelites wiped out the king. I could pull all that stuff out. Would that be the word of God that I'm preaching? I could preach from the word of God, but I really wouldn't be teaching God's heart, would I? I really wouldn't be giving you the full context, but could I do that? Absolutely I could. I, very, I, I, I certainly could. Many well-intentioned pastors, many well-intentioned Sunday school teachers, many well-intentioned dads that are teaching Bible studies in their home, it's real simple. Preach the word of God. Preach God's word. Sometimes we get so focused on books about the Bible that we neglect the Bible itself. You ever do that? You, I, I've been to a number of, and not that books about the Bible are bad. I'm not saying don't read them, Christian books and things like that. But what I'm saying is, where's my focus? I could focus on too much about a book about the Bible, and I begin following a person, and I'm not really getting the Word of God. I'm getting somebody's opinion on the Word of God, which may or may not be accurate, but unless I know the Word of God, I can't make that determination, can I? That's why it's important that I know the Word of God. When I read a book about the Bible, I can look and go, that's not right. Or, yep, I agree with that. It makes sense. If you don't know what the Bible says and you read that book, you're just going to go, well, he must be smart. I mean, he's got letters after his name and, you know, obviously people, he's selling books. And just because it's in a book today doesn't mean much, does it? You know, you can, get, you can write a book and self-publish it for very little money today. Within, within a few thousand dollars, you could publish your own book. It doesn't even have to be edited right. You can have misspellings, everything in there. It's, it's, if you go on Amazon, there's all kinds of books that are written by people that, that they have no credibility behind them. But somebody wrote a book, they published it, and now they're selling it. You could grab a hold of it and think that everything's right in it, and it could be wrong. That's why it's important that we understand and know the Word of God. Paul is telling Timothy to preach the Word of God. Listen, if the focus of a sermon, if the focus of a message in church, if it's focused on current events, if it's focused on world events, and I'm not talking about prophetic messages. If the majority of the focus of the message is not, does not include the word of God, 
It's not teaching the word of God. It might even be in the place of God, in the house of God, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're teaching the word of God. If the sermon is overly humorous or comical, if it, if it becomes, you know, entertainment value, it, 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 you know, not saying that comedy is bad or making a joke's bad, but you can take the focus off the word of God. I think that in our churches today, we've done that. I think a lot of places we've taken, not, and I'm not saying we're the only church that teaches the Bible. I'm not saying that at all. Please don't misunderstand. But I think a lot of times churches can become about everything but the word of God. It's about this, this ministry. It's about that ministry. It's about what's going on here. It's about what's going on there. How's the youth group? How's the children's ministry? How's all these things going on? And then nobody ever says, well, are they teaching the word of God? Are they teaching the Bible? Am I really going to go there and get fed with the Bible? The cool thing is that's all we really have here. We don't, you, di you didn't come here this morning to hear the worship team play, right? You might have come to worship. Oh, but we do have a worship team, don't we? You guys are the worship team. Have you ever heard you guys sing? It sounds great to hear. I like to come up a little early and I can stand here and listen to you guys sing a little bit. It sounds wonderful. You know, but it, it be, sometimes church can become all about those other things. Not that they're bad, because hopefully someday the Lord will bless us with the worship team. We're, we've been praying for one for years. You know, but not that they're bad, but the focus needs to stay on the word of God. Paul made it a point to tell Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. That's what people need to hear. And that's been our heart here at this church. That's why we've done the radio station, because now we can preach the word uh, across the airwaves. So mo many of you guys are here this morning because you listen on, how many heard, hear, listen on the radio? How come came this morning just because you hear on the radio? Several of you. A lot of you. You hear us on the radio and you want to come see and you like the message and you want to hear what's going on. Paul told, you remember previously, Paul was passing by Ephesus and he gathered all the leaders of Ephesus, all the elders together, and he, he told them a few things. He was telling them that he was on his way to Jerusalem. He didn't know that if he would see them again. This is out of Acts chapter 20. And he said this. He said, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. And verse 27 says of Acts chapter 20, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. What's the whole counsel of God? What does he mean by that? Paul saying, I have not shunned, it means I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. What would the, if we had to answer that question today, what would you say the whole counsel of God is? I'd say it's this Bible right in front of us. From Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, every word of it would be the whole counsel of God. I will tell you, we're about halfway through since I started. I've done about half of the books. I will continue on until we finish all of the books. And there will be a day, if you sit here long enough, you will hear every book of the Bible taught. Well, what do you do when you get done, Rob? I start over, because by then it's going to be like 12 years or something. It doesn't come quickly. But you start over. But there will be a day where I could stand here and say, I have taught you the whole counsel of God. You've heard every word of it. You've heard every bit of it. You've heard every piece of it. To me, I take this seriously as the pastor. As a pastor, as the pastor here, preach the word. That's got to be my focus. That's got to be the focus of our church is the word of God. Now, what does it mean to preach the word? How, how, what, what does that mean? What, what does it look like? Well, I, I, every one of my messages has three things in it. And it's real simple and it's not that complicated. The first thing it has is, come on, you guys got this. The Bible, right? The word. If I'm going to preach the word, I have to have open the word. You know, I always say if you find a church and they're not carrying Bibles in there, find another one. Because that means they're not opening it. People have said, why don't you put it on the screen? Because I want you to look it up. I want you to know where we're at. I want you to write a note. I want you to put it down. We could put it on the screen, but I don't want to do that. I want you to have your Bible because when you leave here, here's what happens. Some people take notes and they take all these notes and it goes in a drawer at home. 
They're never categorized. They're never found. You'll never find them again. They're just gone forever. I did that for a long time. Then I started writing in my Bible. I started making notes in my Bible. And you know what I found when I left here? I read it. I remember what he said. There, I, I, remember, I remember how it works that way. You know, so I write all over my Bible to me. That's, that's where I take my notes when I'm studying. And, and oftentimes when I'm preparing, I write my notes in there. But the first thing in order to preach the word is it has to have the word. It has to have the word. And, and I know that seems kind of elementary, but I think that it's, I think that it's important. I think that it's something that we can't forsake. The second thing that I do in every message is I explain to you what it says. I simply tell you what it says in, 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 a, in an easy, simplified way. I put it in a cultural context. As I talked about what, some, what somebody is who heralds the word of God and how if you were a king and you wanted to go out and hire somebody to get your message out, that's what somebody is, that's what Paul's referring to when he says preach the word. I tell you what it means. And the third thing I tell you to do, I tell you what to do with it. I give you application. What does it mean to you today sitting here? How do you apply that to your life? I can't make you apply it to your life. I can only encourage you to apply it to your life. And that's what I do. I do these three things. I give you the word, I explain it, and I tell you how to apply it to your life. It's not really that hard, is it? You know, I don't have to sit around during the week and figure out, all right, I need a five-part sermon series on preaching the word. I don't. I already know. You know where I'm going to be next week? 2 Timothy chapter 4 maybe verse 6 or maybe verse 9 depends on how far we get this morning but I'll be in the next spot on Thursday nights I'm in 2nd Samuel we'll be starting chapter 23 so I already know I don't have to sit and think so my focus isn't on coming up with a clever title I don't I, you know we need to come up with a title with your message somebody told me and I said I have a title for my message they said, what is it I said 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 through 5 <laughs> they said we well, need to get a fancy title I said well I'm not I don't think like that I don't my mind doesn't work that way I focus on teaching and how to apply it and, and what it says. So Paul's telling Timothy here, you know, preach the word. And to do that, you don't have to be creative. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to be overly smart. But what you do have to be is prepared. What you do have to put forth time is study. What you have to put forth the time is in prayer. You have to really, there's, there's a lot of preparation. And, and I know that as we look at this, you go, well, Rob, you're the pastor. Are you, aren't you kind of just talking to yourself this morning? I mean, none of us are, are pastors. You know, this is your job. We're, we're glad to hear to listen to you talk to yourself, and we hope you're doing all these things. But here's what I want you to know. We all have the obligation to teach the word, don't we? You may not teach it from behind here, but moms, aren't you teaching it to your kids during the week? Dads, aren't you teaching it to your families? The first place I ever taught the Bible was at home to my own family. It's the very first place I ever taught. We have in our family what's called circle time. It's the morning Bible study time. And we do it most mornings, not every morning, because sometimes life doesn't allow it. But when it all first started, we were living down in Florida. We were going to church, and Rebecca decides she's going to have circle time. And we called it circle time because we all sat in the circle in the floor. And uh, I was sat there, and I wasn't part of circle time. I was getting ready for work, and I was kind of doing my own thing, and you know, I was watching her try to have circle time with the kids. And as I watched her having circle time with the kids, you know what I saw? Chaos. Because this kid's doing that, this kid's doing that, this kid's over here, this kid's not paying attention, this kid wants to do something else. We only had three then. I said, but all the kids want to do something different. And I watched it happen for about three or four days, I guess it was. And then I, went up one, and then I got up one morning, and the Lord said to me, why don't you teach circle time? You're the man in the house, why don't you teach it? So I got up one morning and I said to her, I'm teaching circle time today. And she looked at me like, I've been praying for that for years. No. <laughs> no, she didn't say that. She looked at me like, great. And uh, we sat down. And you know what the funny thing was? Is all the kids sat there and listened. They all sat there and listened. Now it's not perfect, but trust me. Kids, kids are kids. 
But because dad was doing it, it had a greater impact than when mom did it. That was the first place I ever taught the Bible. It wasn't at a church. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, at a men's conference. It was a place where I sat in front of my own family. And, I had to, and then I realized, you know what, I'm not really prepared to do this. And I had to study a little bit beforehand. I had to, read, I had to at least read beforehand so I knew what to apply. And we started that. I don't know when. It's been a long time. And we continue to do that to this day. We continue to do it to this day. I would encourage dads, if you don't have time, it doesn't have to be in the morning, it can be the evening. Set aside that time to minister. And if you don't have kids, minister to your wife. Husbands, just have it with your wife. I can guarantee that if a husband was to go to a wife and say, hey, you want to you study the Bible together once in, you know, every day, every morning, just for a few minutes, just for 10 or 15 minutes, do you think she would say no? She's probably going to think the same thing I just said. I've been praying for that for years. No, try it sometimes. You'll, you'll be amazed what the Lord reveals to you in that. So, Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. How important it is to preach the word. And then he goes on, he says, be ready in season and out of season. That word be ready, it means to stand by. It means to be at hand. Be ready for ministry, Timothy, in season, out of season. Always be ready to preach the word. It means, you, Timothy, you preach the word when it's easy. You preach the word when it's hard. You preach the word when there's obvious fruit taking place. You preach the word when there's no fruit taking place. You're always ready to minister in whatever. You preach the word when you feel like it. You preach the word when you don't feel like it. There's some mornings I don't feel like teaching at circle time in my house. Some mornings that you wake up a little cranky. and You know what I have to do? I have to continue to teach. Some mornings are better than others. Some mornings you have great, it's like, the, it's, we're like the, you know, the, the poster child for homeschool families. We all sit there and the kids ask all these intelligent questions and we have this great moment of Bible teaching and other moments it's, this one's crying in his room and that one's over here and it's just chaos. And I go, did we accomplish anything? But we were faithful to meet for whatever time period we had. So he says, just preach the word. A pastor has the obligation to be available and always be ready to minister in season and out, out of season. But if you want to be used by the Lord, don't you have to be available also? Don't you think you could get so busy in life that you're not available? Don't you think that I could have so much on my calendar? I could have so much going on that if God were just to move in my heart to do something out of the ordinary, off of my schedule today, I just, I can't, I don't have time for that, Lord. There's no time for that. I, I just can't do that. Listen, I think as ministers of the Lord, we need to double check our lives and say, are we doing things that God's called us to do? Or are we doing things just because we think they should be done? I constantly look back and I refine my life and I say, are we too busy for this? Can we do this or can't we do that? And you should do the same thing because sometimes the Lord may just want you to sit and rest for a little while. They may want you just to sit and rest and have time to open up your Bible, have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and just kind of spend some time with him and hear what he might have to say to you. But we have to be willing to set aside that time to do that. Now, he also tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, I want you to convince, rebuke, and exhort. Convince, convince. That word for convince, it certainly it has the obvious meaning of, you know, help someone understand, help explain to them. But here's what it really means. To state that someone has done wrong with the implication that there is adequate proof of such wrongdoing. Timothy, you have an obligation to tell people when they're doing something wrong. Oh, that's not how I want my pastor. No, no, don't tell me when I'm doing anything wrong. That, that's, that's between me and God. That, no, don't you judge me like that, pastor. No, here's what he's saying. Paul just told Timothy to convince people, which means to state when they're doing something wrong. You go, Rob, I don't like that definition. Well, look at the next one. It says rebuke. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. Rebuke people to express, that means to express strong disapproval, to warn. The pastor, the teacher of God's word. Now, here's what I've come to know. If I teach God's word, the Holy Spirit's going to convince you and rebuke you. 
I don't have to stand up here and spend, you know, 45 minutes telling you that you, there's wrong things in your life and there's sin in your life and list them all off. I already know the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin, so I already know he's doing that. I already know that. As I teach the word, we'll talk about the things we come across. You know, you'll never hear me get on a soapbox about one subject that's not in our scripture for the day. Where, where we talk, Rob, you know, you, you guys don't ever talk about money or giving. We will when we come across it in Scripture. We'll be very faithful to talk about it and teach it exactly the way that's presented in Scripture. Well, you don't talk about, you know, different this or that. Well, we will. And when we come across it in Scripture, we're not going to skip over it. We'll, we'll cover it in detail and make that point. But what that keeps me from doing is getting caught up in, in, uh, in, in hot-button issues and in, in political issues and things like that. And it keeps me focused on the Word of God because I'm going back to what Paul says to Timothy, preach the Word, Rob. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Now, as, as I said, rebuke means to express strong, strong disapproval. And the word does that. The, the, the word will convince you. It will rebuke you. But it will also exhort you, won't it? The word will also exhort you. And it, it translated this way. It means to encourage, to console, to urge, to plead with, to beg, or to implore. The word will certainly, you know, as I teach the word of God, and if you walk out of here and you go, I was feeling really convicted today. That's a blessing. That means the Lord's working in your life. That's a good thing. But you should also from time to time walk out going, I feel really encouraged today. I feel really glad that something's going on, that, that I got exhorted. I realize the Lord really loved me today in, in spite of my sin. I realize the Lord died for my sin. I realize that he loved me while I was still a sinner. While we were yet still sinners, he died for us. You know, we come across these things and we realize them. You see, the pastor should be stating when something is wrong. He should be expressing dis disapproval. He should be warning, but he should also be urging people and pleading with them to come to line up with the word of God, realizing that it's going to be what's best for them. But you see, here's where this kind of gets lost sometimes. Sometimes a pastor, we can convince and rebuke with the best of them. Convince and rebuke. Let me tell you how it is. Let me pulpit pound and tell you how bad it is. And let me just tell you how bad life is. But we forget these last few words. The last few words say, with all long-suffering and teaching. With all long-suffering and teaching. Timothy, you're supposed to do these things. You're supposed to preach the word. You're supposed to be ready. You're supposed to convince. You're supposed to rebuke and exhort. All the while, you're long-suffering and you're teaching. Long-suffering? We don't like that word, do we? We certainly don't like the word long, and we don't like suffering. And when they put them together, that's just a bad combination. Don't like suffering, and when you put long in front of it, that just makes it worse. But here's what it means. It's a state of emotional calm. It's a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and without complaint or irritation. I've said that before. It's this long suffering is a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and without complaint or irritation. So as I preach the word, as I convince, rebuke, exhort, I am supposed to do it with long suffering. That's an emotional calm. That means I'm not up here yelling at the top of my lungs. That means I'm not up here pointing my finger at you. I'm not screaming at you. I'm allowing the Lord to do his work. I'm also not getting personally offended when you don't change right away. Right? I told you once, how come you have it, don't have it down? I, I told you that this, the Bible says this is wrong. Why are you still doing it? That's not long-suffering. You see how that, just that attitude alone can create, there's not a calming. It needs to be encouraging. It needs to be long-suffering. But notice what he also says. He also says teaching, teaching. What does teaching mean? Just what you would think to provide instruction. Long-suffering and teaching. 
Long-suffering and teaching. When you're ministering to somebody, whether it be family, whether it be kids, whether it be friends, whether it be neighbors, coworkers, whatever it is, do you know that if you will add this to my ministry with all long-suffering and teaching, it will go a whole lot better? If you're going to rebuke somebody, you need to add long-suffering to you and teaching in there too. You don't just go rebuke them and, and tell them, all right, the Bible says this, you're wrong, now get off it or get over it. That's not long-suffering. Long-suffering is you continue to teach them what the Bible says. Let me show you what the Bible says. You, do you know, how, you know how many times I've sat with my, in my office with somebody, I've counseled somebody, I've told them exactly how to overcome or solve the problem that they're having, and yet they do the exact opposite? Then they come back and they say, well, it didn't work. Well, you didn't do it. Or they come back and they say, well, you, you, I can't do it for you. You've, you've got to make the choices yourself. But do I throw them out? Do I say, well, I told you twice, that's it. That's all you get. Two, two times, that's it, you're gone. See ya. No, you know why? Because I realized how many times it took me. <laughs> I realized how patient God was with me. And I realized how, many, how the people around me watched me grow slowly, watched me mature slowly. Long-suffering and teaching. In your ministry, ask yourself whether, whatever it is, and, and again, ministry doesn't mean just what I'm doing here. In your ministering to friends and family, ask yourself, am I doing it with long-suffering, which means a state of emotional calm? Mm -hmm. In the face of provocation, when they're provoking you, are you remaining calm? Are you remaining calm? Or are you getting mad? Are you complaining? Are you irritated about it? That's not long-suffering. Patience, moving forward, allowing them to make mistakes, being there to help them back up. Isn't that what a parent does with a child? How many parents have taught their children one time, and that's it, they got it for the rest of their life? You guys are laughing. See, there's nothing wrong with my kids. They're just like everybody else's. It doesn't work that way. It's a teaching moment. It's over and over. And the scriptures are the exact same way. How many people read it in the scripture and go, all right, that's, that's it, I got it. I'm never going to do that again. Or are we just like the people that go, you know, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. Then you find yourself doing the same thing over and over again. Aren't you glad the Lord is long-suffering? Aren't you? I am. All right. So why is all this important? Paul tells Timothy, oh boy, we've got to get going. We're only in verse 3. Paul tells Timothy in verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they're going to heap up, that means build up, pile up, stack up, for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth, and they'll be turned aside to fables. Paul says, Timothy, it is so important that you preach the word, because there's coming a day, and I, I think we're there. You know, I mean, if Paul was calling it back then, almost 2,000 years ago, I think we can pretty well say we're, the, we're there. He says they will not endure sound doctrine. They're not going to endure sound doctrine. Now, here's the cool thing. That word for sound is where we get our word for healthy or hygiene. Healthy. So we could actually say they will not endure healthy doctrine. You say, what's the difference? Well, sound doctrine just makes sense in your mind. Healthy doctrine means it's good for you. They won't endure healthy doctrine. You know, we... we but you can understand that, can't you? You can understand why people get pulled aside. How many of you could raise your hand and say that if I went to a fast food restaurant and had a hamburger and french fries and a Coke, that's healthy? No, it's not. Nobody but would say that's healthy. But yet, how many of us do that? We know it's not healthy. So here's they're getting sucked out with this unhealthy doctrine. Timothy, there's coming a day when people won't, they are not going to want to hear this healthy sound doctrine. They're not going to want to hear all this kind of stuff. It says they're going to have itching ears. They're going to have itching ears. They're going to heap up for themselves teachers. That means just pile teachers up. When it happens, they'll put teachers in front of themselves. They're going to tell them what they want to hear. 
They're not going to want to hear the Bible taught because the Bible is going to say things that they don't want to hear. So they're going to go find somebody that will teach them what and say what they do want to hear. They're going to find a pastor who's going to skip the sections that they don't want to hear. They're going to find a pastor who will justify the sections. And they're not, that, that doesn't apply for today. And we have to change the scriptures with the times. That's absolutely false. If God existed outside of time, and this is his word, it's going to exist outside of time. It hasn't changed. It's still the same word of God. It will be the same word of God on into eternity. It won't change. But yet people will, he's, what Paul's saying is people will heap up ministers. They'll heap up people that are going to tell them exactly what they want to hear. Do we see that happening today? Sure we do. We sur- certainly we see that. Now, we also have to know that when this happens, they're going to put these teachers in front of themselves. And they're not going to care if it's right or wrong. They're going to want to believe it. They're going to proclaim it as truth. But again, as Christians, as followers of Christ, our truth comes from the word of God and nowhere else. Our truth comes from God's word. When we read and study, is it in God's word? That's why I believe it. The most popular teachers are not always going to be the most faithful teachers. And the opposite is true. Just because somebody's popular doesn't mean they're unfaithful. But what we, our standard needs to be the word of God. And notice what they're going to actually do. They're going to turn their ears away from the truth. They're going to turn their ears away from the truth and they're going to be turned aside to what Paul calls fables. Fables, stories. I jotted this down from one commentator. It says, when a man rejects God's truth, it isn't that he believes nothing, but it's that he'll believe anything. When a man rejects God's truth, it's not that he's believing, he's not, he's cho- not choosing to believe nothing. He says he'll believe anything. What was the popular religion of that day? Greek mythology, wasn't it? Zeus, all the, all the Greek gods. Wasn't that flooding through the Roman Empire at that time? That's what was taking place. What, that's the kind of fables that Paul say they're going to put their faith in. They're going to put their trust in. What other kind of fables have we come to believe? What about evolution? Isn't, isn't there a, there's a whole science movement that's, that's believing evolution. What about those that say you must work your way into heaven? That's not what the scripture says. What about that you know, God only loves you when you're doing good and, and, and doing what he wants you to do? No, God loved you while you're, God loved you before he created you. That's why he created you. What about when people, when the church has placed too much emphasis on prosperity? It's all about health and wealth doctrine. What about the word faith movement? It's all about how much faith you have. Not, nothing to do with what God's choices are, what God's sovereignty says. It's all, it becomes all about those things. And now Paul goes on to give Timothy a few final instructions in verse 5. He says, Timothy, you must be watchful in all things. You must endure afflictions do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Be watchful in all things. Everybody else is being turned aside, Timothy. False teachers are creeping in. Everybody else is turning to the left, to the right. They're mounting up. They're listening to what they want to hear. And he says, Timothy, you need to pay attention. Keep your eyes open. Remember the scriptures and do what God wants you to do. You need to endure affliction. Oh, we don't like that, do we? I don't want to endure affliction. I want out of it as quickly as I, can, as I got into it. God, would you just, that's not our prayer. God, just take it away. Get rid of it. Move it. I don't want it. I don't like affliction. What does affliction mean anyways? It means to suffer physical pain. It means hardship. It means distress. If anyone ever told you that following Jesus Christ would remove affliction from your life, I'm sorry to say they lied to you. They certainly didn't know the scriptures because every one of the apostles suffered great affliction unto their death with the exception of John for the Lord. Many martyrs are killed for their faith. They're suffering affliction in different countries right now. This morning as we can gather freely 
in a place like this, they're hiding in homes, having to come sometimes hours apart so they don't see a large group of people or even a small group of people walking into one home at a certain time. There will be affliction along with your faith. You can bet on it. You can bet on it. But you can also bet that God's got enough strength and enough, uh, everything that he'll give you, everything you need to carry you through that affliction. You'll get through it. But he also says to Timothy, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. I believe this was Timothy's calling. Paul's telling Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And you might say, well, Rob, I'm not very much of an evangelist. Well, just do the work of an evangelist. Maybe you're not an evangelist, but just can you do the work? What does an evangelist do? Just tells people about Jesus. You don't have to get in front of a stadium or a group of people. Just tell your friends, tell your relatives. Share what God's done in your life. Share what you learned in church. Share what God showed you in the Word. Share the verses that he's showed you at your private study time. Do the work of an evangelist. We can still do the work even if we don't see ourselves as that being our calling. But then he tells Timothy something that I think is really important. He says, Timothy, you really need to fulfill your ministry. Why would he tell him that? Because I think there's a lot of ministries that go unfulfilled. I think, I think the Lord can put in somebody's life a ministry, and he tells them, fulfill your ministry. But there's a lot of ministries that can go unfil- unfulfilled because the man or the woman or the person who's called to that ministry doesn't fulfill it. They, they back out. They quit. Uh, there's unbelief. There's fear. The cares of the world. Criticisms. Discouragement. It's not going the way they think, and they'll back out of it, and they'll just let it go. They'll just drop it because it's not, they're not getting the results. At the end of the book of Colossians, Paul told Archippus to take heed to the ministry which he has received and fulfill it. Take heed to the ministry which you have received and fulfill it. If God has called you to a ministry, and again, please use that term in a broad sense. Moms, you're ministering. Dads, you're ministering. You work at a workplace, you have a ministry. You know, fulfill the ministry that God has called you to. The things that he's given you to do, fulfill that. That word to fulfill means to accomplish the task. To perform the complete duty. Fulfill those things that he's called you to do. Don't let something like fear. I'm kind of nervous. I don't know if I can do it. Don't let something like, well, I don't know if I have the finances. God will provide all the finances for the ministry he's called you to. He's done that faithfully in this church. You guys know that we don't take an offering yet every week. There's plenty of money to provide for our our bills and everything we need. The Lord has faithfully provided that in this church week after week, month after month, year after year. As a matter of fact, we have never, ever been behind in our finances. We've always been ahead. You say, well, Rockham, you don't take an offering. We We trust the Lord to provide. We put the box in the back and we say those that the Lord puts on your heart to give, give, and those that don't, it's okay. It's between you and the Lord. And it it is such a blessing. It's a testimony. I can tell you that every time we take a step of faith, God provides. Every time we do something, God provides. We don't have fundraisers. You've never come in and said we're having a fundraiser for this and for that. What we do is we pray for it. When we were buying the radio station, Lord, we started praying for the finances. You know what? They came in. Everything we've always done, God has provided faithfully. He will do the same thing for you. Don't ever let anything keep you, keep you from fulfilling the ministry that God has called you to do. All right, I'm going to close, but I want to read these last few verses, and we'll actually pick them up next week, and we'll talk more about them, but I want to close because this is the Apostle Paul basically signing off, if you will, to Timothy. Verses six, uh, verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who, has, who have loved his appearing. Paul says, Timothy, I'm done. I'm done. 
I'm not getting out of here. This is it, Timothy. I'm done. As I write this letter to you, Timothy, these final words, take them to heart. I'm being poured out. And he's going to go on to give him some instructions, which we'll pick up next week and we'll cover that. But here's where I want you to just spend a few minutes as we close. I want you to take a few minutes, and we always like to close the service in prayer. So take a few minutes, and you go before the Lord quietly. And you take a look back over this message that you've heard, and read the scriptures if you need to, and go back and ask yourself, you know, is the Lord calling me to preach the word in my home? Is the Lord calling me to preach the word to my wife, my family? Is the Lord calling me? Am I pulling out of a ministry that I shouldn't be? Am I trying to back out of something because it's not going the way that I like? What has the Lord done with these five verses in your heart this morning? So take a few minutes and go before the Lord in prayer quietly. We're going to just be two or three minutes. No one's going to pray out loud. This is just quiet time between you and the Lord. And just allow him to minister to you. Maybe you have a few more thoughts that you want to write down, whatever it is. Let's just close in, in a word of prayer. Father, we just come before you. And Lord, as we study the scripture, as we study your word, Lord, I see the command to preach the word. And Father, that's what we've done here at this fellowship. And you've blessed that. You've brought people, but you've also brought ministry, and you've also changed lives. Lord, the success of this ministry isn't based on the number of people. It's based on what you're doing, based on the obedience of the people that are here. And Lord, as they step out in faith, as they begin to do those things that you've called them to do, may you just fill them with the Holy Spirit. May you bless them. May you just lead them and guide them. Lord, may we be a church that equips the saints for the work of the ministry. May this, never, may this organization never be about our church or our building or our radio station. May it always be about you, Lord. May you be the center and may you be the focus.